my intention was to go out and kind of stay on the periphery, but that never works. And so I slowly kept edging in into this badlands, these ridgelines. It's very soothing and calming walking along them and in the quiet of night with absolute, there's zero sound out there. I remember getting very close to my destination when I saw a small light pop up. And I'd seen them before. They would pop up, we'd call them spy bees or drones. They are some kind of light that has about a hundred, about 180 degree variance they can move. But the really strong beam is about a 45 degree beam. They, they move kind of snake-like these lights and, and you can see multiple lights sometimes. You can see the light almost like it's looking at things and it'll focus on something and it'll light up an area and then it'll turn off. And then moments later, it's in a different area and it's moving a lot faster than a human can. And it will flash for a few seconds, look at whatever it's looking at and turn off. Usually this is quite random going along the ridgeline, but this one seemed to be searching for something and uh, pretty quickly I realized that it was searching for me. It was coming in my direction and I started to back up and take all the precautions and run and hide and bob and weave, snake-like patterns, all the typical stuff. You know, don't run in a straight line. You, you run this way, you run that way, you zig, you zag. You don't do anything that is rational. And do all the things that I could humanly do to stay away from this light that is trailing me. It continued coming. And there was a point where I knew it was going to get me. I, I literally remember jumping and just belly, just hitting the deck. My, my stomach, my face, everything just hitting the ground, trying to get out of this view of whatever was chasing me. My face was so down close to the ground, just trying to become part of the scenery that I was breathing so hard I could literally you know, feel the dirt and dust. I was breathing it in, and I, I didn't care about that. I, I just knew that, that they were going to get me. And it, it, I thought it was fast, but it, it can move a lot faster than it shows. I remember running, but there was a, a very bright flash. I could see the outline of my shadow. I knew it was right behind me. I could see my shadow as I'm running along this area. And I'm like, oh, it's right behind me. And almost immediately, I felt what can only be described as a water balloon with warm water inside of it thrown at my back as if it burst when it hit me. And I felt like that warm sensation on my back felt very liquidy. I even remember kind of reaching back and seeing if I was wet, but I was totally dry. And it had hit me with something. And that was that. 
I got the heck out of there. And that's, that's as far as I went, but it was mind-blowing. I don't know what these things were or are, but they were very intelligently controlled, and they usually didn't come after you. I, it was almost like, oh, hey, no fair. Really? Me? Like, you usually, usually I, I was able to see these things and other researchers as well. We were able to capture these things doing their thing, and they didn't engage in such an aggressive fashion. And it may have been because I was alone. I, I didn't really know where it was going to end up. It was very frightening. And uh, I, I realized that they were more apt than I had originally thought. I may have had others since that were more scary, but scary visually. That one where I seemed to be the prey was... I definitely knew I was out of my element. Badlands of Utah, a myth shows its changing face and leads us down a path. I'm Jim Perry. This is Euphemet, a show about the unknown and a relationship to it, this time in shapeshifter territory. Next, on this third season debut of Euphemet. An idling greyhound in chilly Salt Lake City is about to embark on a four-hour climb into the mountains to the remote badlands of Utah, and I'm sitting here on edge. Growing up hearing so many stories about today's destination has built an unsettled anticipation in me, and despite my calm exterior when friends and family told me to be careful out at Skinwalker, I feel their trepidation looming now, staring at me, as if the hot exhaust whipping against the bus window, this piece of glass separating us, a veil, translucent, letting me see the face of fear up close. Myths of wolf-like creatures, entities crawling out of portals, anomalous light activity, and mutilations. This phenomenon... All of it, through ghostly veil, will be able to see me. Before leaving, I did a bit of a ritual for the first time. I broke out my friend Jen's a minty oracle deck. In desperation of finding a tool to separate my consensus reality mind from this supernatural pathos I developed around the Skinwalker myth, three cards pulled, all suggesting for me to keep my emotions in check and proceed with respect. 
as if dealing with a wild animal. Hours later, I'm on a snow-covered ridge with Ryan under towering power lines overlooking the alleged shapeshifter territory, and he details his history of being a kid running these ridges around the old Sherman Ranch below, looking to make contact himself as the very well-funded research of Robert Bigelow happens just a fence away. The, the history of the Sherman Ranch the Utah UFO Ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, whatever you want to call it, can be found just about everywhere. As can the lore around an alleged curse of the land that some say granted its otherworldly behavior. And all of that wasn't really a concern of mine. On this part one of two, we'll explore Ryan's life as a ridge runner then dive into his introduction to the space in part two and how it seemingly made a shapeshifter of him. But for now, we walk through feet of snow in eight degree weather, retracing the path of the skinwalker. And so that is werewolf point there. Um, the casing on these, they were put in like in 1950, 58, that area. From the 1950 to 58, uh, the Central Utah Project came through and put these in, and all the casings have completely eroded. Mm -hmm. So, But for some reason, the path of the Skinwalker just happens to go right along these. My name is Ryan Burns. I'm into property management. I've been investigating the oddities of the Uinta Basin full-time, Gunfire in the distance. Yeah, you heard that too? Uh -huh. From about 2005 to 2014. And then I moved to Vegas. And I've been investigating it about once a month for about a week at a time ever since. And the ranch location is sort of that way, yeah? It's such a big ranch. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's this way. It's such a big ranch. To give you an idea, on the opposite side of Werewolf Point here, that's going to be ranch. And when we first turned, those the is almost as far as you can see the um, the odd geological rocks there on the horizon. Yeah. The ranch is also on that side. Gotcha. That's how big it yeah, is. Yeah. Wow. At this point, it was started out as 480 acres, um, but they've been picking up more land. Mm and they're also leasing uh, an extra 100 acres. So, and they have full reign over the ridge here, which is owned by another individual. They have free reign to get trespassers or anybody else in there. Wow. The area in general, I like to call it shapeshifter territory because it does not mind boundaries at all. It could care less about a fence line, about a roadway, and it's, it's an area of verdant land with multiple water systems running through high desert with a cliff line to the north and another windy ridge to the south. It's an area that, just looking at it, it, it looks out of place. Uh, from space, it looks out of place. From a drone, it looks out of place. It is an area that was 
abandoned, for lack of a better word, by many, and has been rehomesteaded by people. The shapeshifter territory in general, most of the landowners around it, whether it be uh, historically the Shermans, who owned the lion's share of it, or Bigelow, who purchased it, or the new ownership, any of these entities, they're all played with to some extent or another, regardless of the power they thought they had. And the same is true for anyone in the area, including myself. I've been played with and, and, and realized that it's not my land at all. It's it's not. It's it's an area that this force is able to roam. And the original owners, Terry Sherman, uh, quickly realized, as many, that this was aware of their presence on the property. And again, uh, they were literally almost chased out of there by the oddities. And I think some of that may have been their reaction to it. It wasn't something they wanted to deal with. Mr. Bigelow, I think, was a visionary in that he did want a deal. He wanted to get down and dirty with this. He wanted to find out exactly what it was and why it was there. With the new ownership, they're aware it's there. They don't know what the implications are necessarily, but they're doing things differently. Uh, Technology has changed significantly. They're manipulating and monopolizing on that, and they are doing things in leaps and bounds compared to people in the past. They're, They're gaining a lot of traction as far as trying to figure out what the phenomena is. And all of these individuals have, for lack of a better word, jumped into the fire. And that's really noble, I think. So we were talking about like how you feel when you step when you step out for the first time. How do you feel right now? Um, kind of normal right now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice and, and low key and nothing too intense right now, except for the gunshots over there at Moonshadow. But um, you'll you'll hear that a lot from the ranches. Uh, a lot of gunshots. Some nights it's just constant. And yeah, they're shooting at things that they don't like or they are they're fearful of not that that will have any real effect in killing anything in my experience i never i'm never armed um if i'm in an area that i'm really scared of i'll I'll wear a a flak jacket and i usually have just like a little pocket knife Mm. that's it and that's usually you know not even for defense it's just in case i need it but i don't think guns really have any effect on them it's been said that if you uh you have to injure the neck or completely decapitate to have any effect on the shapeshifters or else they'll just wander off wow um my caretaker had a an experience that if he's there he might be able to tell you about that would be great we arrive at ryan's property a bluff above the old sherman ranch i find a pile of bullet shells at the site one of the actual casings yeah so it was a big a big bullet do you, do you want to tell me yeah. that story right now? Yeah, that's... Yeah, you got it. What happened there on that night? From what I understand, 
he was having a cigarette on the porch with a buddy. They were looking back this way. They saw three figures, tallish, large, jump over the fence. I had just had a little cabin brought to the property that same day. These things were playing with lights, motion sensors, cameras, just throwing them around, kind of with reckless abandon, playfully just messing with stuff. The guys were looking from the porch up there, and they were looking down the road, and they were like, oh, you got to be kidding me. We're going to have to go down there. They got their guns, and they started walking down, yelling, you know, get out of here. No response. They warned them that they were armed and coming down to identify themselves or to leave. No response. And when they got very close, all three sat down almost as if on their haunches, sort of like a dog would. Him and his friend were sort of, at that point, were kind of like, whoa. They yelled a few more things to him. When they stood up is when he unloaded because he didn't know if they were coming towards or away. He's a really good shot. He definitely hit it. Nothing happened. It just turned around and jumped over the fence with uh, the two others. How does it make you feel? When you, when I sleep here at night, it's interesting. I, I sometimes... You'll hear things, and that's always in the back of my mind. But that's a little haunting. It's it's odd being here uh, on uh, in a place where I used to sneak onto. And now there's things sneaking onto it (laughs) and it's very mind-blowing in in making tracks towards something that you know was the holy grail uh, i i found that it was uh, initially it was just the journey to get to a destination to have a better view. And what it turned into is the ridge actually became the destination. There were encounters in these badlands that couldn't be explained lights where there's nothing but sagebrush and dirt and animals that didn't fit in the ecosystem and entities that are so far removed, not only from our planet, but being on this ridgeline is it's so expansive and massive that you're so far removed as well from the planet, kind of that it almost seems okay. And it, it turned into a very magical playground for me. It became kind of a ritual. You know, you get all hyped up, packed up. Really, are you close? Are you coming? Yeah, we're coming. Cameras, batteries, making sure everything's charged and working correctly. Ridiculous things like putting tape over infrared sensors or any lights that the camera had at all. We'd put duct tape over it or wrap it with camo. The extent that we would go to be completely inobservable was ridiculous. Uh, I would wear a flak jacket because shots would be heard often and I'm like, they could, they could shoot this way. And they did sometimes. And many nights I would go out alone, but I was always more excited for the nights that I would go out with others, you know, it, because there's safety 
when you're alone, if you see something, it just, unless you get crystal clear footage, it really didn't happen. When you have various people who are seeing the same thing, you get that, that confirmation, that validity. There was a lot of uh, haze and woes and what's that and get downs, hide. Really, it was because we didn't know what we were up against. And even this many years later, I, I still don't know. It was hard to explain, but it was almost like we knew something nobody else knew. One of the very first memorable outings was with myself, my friend Ryan Skinner, and another researcher. We were out in a location that we called the secret spot for various reasons. We had parked our cars a ways away. As we started to venture over the ridge, we would hear the car doors opening and closing. And one of us would run back. Of course, everything was fine. There was nothing happening. We'd lock the cars again. and Whoever it was would come back. And again, you'd hear the car doors very obviously our car doors opening and slamming just as hard as can be. After about the third time, we realized, okay, joke's on us. We're not going to go back this time. We're going to keep going. We ran into other things on that particular trip. We saw uh, red and blue flashing lights in the sky, and then they seemed like they were in the ground, like on the ground, moving along the ridge line. I was thinking, it's a policeman. We're busted. Let's just give it up. Game's over. The other two researchers saw these red and blue flashing lights and they thought it was also a police officer or Bureau of Indian Affairs. However, as the red and blue flashing lights were flying across the ridge, we started to realize, like, look at the terrain we're on. There's no way a vehicle could be going that fast on this terrain. As we huddled up with these lights coming towards us, and we started to disseminate and pick it apart about how it wasn't what we thought it was. That's not real. And as we said that, it was just became less real, less real. And you could actually see it getting angry. Like, it sounded like the loudspeaker of a police car. And you could hear a language trying to <laughs> bark orders at us to scare us. But we were already starting to pick this apart. No, you're not real. Hey, that... That can't be a cop, can it? Oh no, there's no, that's impossible. There's no road there. As we started to think rationally, we could see that this construct was literally losing pixels and deconstructing as we were deconstructing it. Kind of like a hologram, you could see it sort of start to phase out. And we realized this language was probably something like an ancient language. It sounded very, very, very indigenous, possibly Sumerian or older. Pretty soon the others said, okay, who's the one thinking about police? And I was like, it's, it's me. It is my fault, guys. And they're like, don't do that. Like, okay, I got it. You have to be very careful what enters your mind. You kind of have to keep it empty like a rice bowl. You know, no rice in the bowl at all. Because what if there's one grain of rice that enters that bowl, it starts to construct whatever this mimicking artificial not really artificial because it, it manifests. I guess this intelligence, really. Uh, a lot of scientists have called it an alien artificial intelligence, but 
It may be the opposite. It may be more at home here than we are. I don't know. But it is an intelligence, and it's very able to construct and manifest through the energies that the observer throws its way. This phenomenon is not unlike an individual you would meet on the street. You don't know what the intention necessarily is. If you, speaking metaphorically as myself or anybody in the area, if someone is not of good intention, the likelihood of a negative scenario taking place is exponentially higher than someone who is just there to observe. Zero judgment, zero... Hmm. It, 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 they're, they're, it's a very amplified, exponential reflection of yourself through the display. You hear so much negativity and, you know, don't go there, don't go here, this place, that. And all of these, the, 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 there's legitimacy in all of these claims. Uh, you can also avoid work your entire life, but you'll never get a paycheck. You can't close yourself off from something just because you don't understand how it works. There's more at play here, and I don't know what that is, but I think if you're pure of heart and have no negativity, no negative intentions, that this is crystal clear to this precognitive intelligence that roams the landscape. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. You can find part two with Ryan available on Thursday, February 27th. For more of Ryan Patrick Burns, find his books chronicling his tales on Amazon. Hey, uh, Euphemet is not the only third season premiere this week. Our friends over at American Hysteria are dropping theirs as well, so please go check that out. In addition, I had the chance to recently recount some of my own tales with Stories with Sapphire, the new show from Sapphire Sandalo, originally from Something Scary Podcast. She's crafting a really great new show, so please find that and subscribe to that as well. You can also hear me chatting about this upcoming season and more with recent appearances on the Bigfoot Collectors Club and with my best bud ever, Ryan Singer, uh, with his show, Me and Paranormal You. Thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Spotify and Anchor. Thank you to all of our patrons. For everything you've met, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon and social media, visit euphemet.com. This has been Euphemet, and I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.